Hi, I'm Pat Harriman, and this is the UCI Podcast. Joining me today is Russ Dalton, founding director of the Jack W. Peltison Center for the Study of Democracy at UCI, where he is now a research professor. He came to campus from Florida State University in 1992, serving as the chair of the Department of Politics and Society in the School of Social Sciences until 1997, and then as director of the Center for the Study of Democracy until 2004. Russ has been a Fulbright Fellow at the University of Mannheim, a German Marshall Fund Fellow, and a POSCO Fellow at the University of Hawaii. He is the author of more than 20 books and almost 200 articles and book chapters, and is recognized as one of America's leading scholars on German public opinion and elections. After his mother Sandy passed away in 2018, he and his sister found a trove of letters that their father Bob had sent to Sandy during his World War II service, where he fought in Patton's Third Army to enter the German heartland. The almost daily letters start with Bob's induction in October of 1944 through to his return in May of 1946, offering a soldier's perspective of boot camp, the battle to defeat the Third Reich, life in post-war Germany and the U.S. Army, relations with the family back home, and most importantly, how World War II touched all their lives. 2020 marks the 75th anniversary of World War II, and earlier this year, Russ and his sister published a book called Love Letters from World War II, Robert W. Dalton's World War II Service. It's an assembly of many of the hundreds of letters and photos their father sent home. Russ, thank you for joining the UCI podcast. Now, were you aware of the letters before you found them? Your parents never mentioned them? Well, first, thanks for uh, letting me share the experience of the, the book and uh, writing the book about my parents. Uh, the letters themselves, uh, I knew once existed when I was 10 or 11, and my mother allowed me to take some stamps off of them for my stamp collection. But then I forgot about them for 50, 60, 50 years until uh, my mother who fell ill and then eventually passed away. We, my sister and I found them in the bottom of the laundry closet. Uh, boxes of hundreds of letters and hundreds of photographs that my, par my mother had saved during the war and my parents had carried with them throughout their life and then left for us when they both passed. So were you surprised that your mom kept all those letters and photos? Uh, I've learned moms keep everything. <laughs> uh, from cards I wrote her in kindergarten to uh, pictures of them when they first moved to California in 1941 to the letters. Although the, the surprising thing is at one point, my father writes to my mother after a year or two, by the way, have you kept the letters? I think I would like to read them later. Um, so that this was a real treasure to find them for us. So why did you and your sister decide to write the book? Well, my sister, I was somewhat nervous about reading the letters uh, because it's the kind of private conversations among your parents. My sister took the letters with her when she was driving with her husband across the U.S. in an RV. And one day I got an email 
she said, I just read this letter and, and it makes me think we have to share it with people. And if, if I, uh, let me read an excerpt from that letter. Sure. This was on August 10th, 1945, when my father found out that Japanese were uh, surrendering and the war was officially over. And he wrote, um, amongst the other things in the letter, it's been almost a year, honey, since I got that patriotic notion to join up. And I know you've had many a lonesome day and night during that time worrying about me. The future certainly looked awful black at times during the war over here. And I wonder, is it right to pray for one's own safety and at the same time kill a man? It gets to be a pretty complex picture, Sandy, and one that is easy to remember and hard to forget. When she read that, she thought, this is just one of the nuggets in the book and we should, or in the letters, and we should share them in book form. So what surprised you while writing the book? Uh, Well, at each stage of his experience, it surprised me. Um, so almost, I mean, in some ways it was a father I knew. On the other hand, it was a 20-year-old that I never knew. Mm. When he wrote the first letter to his draft board to give up his draft from working on a, a military aircraft in uh, Los Angeles, he asked to join the Marines. Uh, and this meant going to war and leaving your daughter and child before behind and leaving your deferment. Um, I was surprised by his times in boot camp, uh, how, how he took it so seriously and was proud to be squad leader, but also had fun learning how to throw hand grenades. Mm. Um, another chapter talks about going to the front um, and how all of the GIs and officers and the, and the train were scared and they were open to admit it, that they were going off to what was unknown, um, to the combat period. And then he spent six months in the occupation forces after the war and had to learn to, to live in the army, to, try to help rebuild the country that they had just fought a war against. So there was, in, in a sense, there were just surprises like the letter I wrote you throughout that narrative. So what kind of relationship did you have with your father? Uh, I think it was pretty normal for kids in the 1960s. Um, uh, he was very serious. Uh, he kept his emotions inside. He was building a business. He, he wrote several times in his letters that uh, he thought his job after the war was to make a better life for his family. And uh, he took that seriously and we all benefited from it. But you know, at the same time, he returned not having a job, not having a place to live, not having any money. Um, and so life was a real challenge. Did he ever talk about his horror experiences? Uh, 
that's interesting because I studied German politics as my one of my career specializations. I lived a year in Mannheim. Mannheim is a 30-minute train ride from Frankfurt where he worked for almost a year. I lived a year in Cologne. Uh, about the only thing he would do is when I would mention something, he said, oh, I've been there. Um, my sister once asked him explicitly as an adult to talk about the war, and he refused. And what I've learned is this is how most GIs reacted. They fought the war, saw the horrible things that it involved, and tried to come home and put it in the closet and go on with their life. So you've said that the book, and this is a quote, offers uh, an intimate first-person account of how the average GI experienced World War II and its aftermath. So how did the war affect your family's lives? Um, well, what, one thing I got out of the book was I didn't realize how much sacrifice Americans made during the war, even though I had read about it as an academic. So my parents moved from California back to Massachusetts. Uh, my mother lived on the stipend my father could send back from her salary, which was something in the range of $20 a month. They lived on ration coupons of what they could buy and what they couldn't. My mother several times talks about selling her fancy dresses so they would have enough money and uh, worrying about taking my younger, my older sister to the doctor because they couldn't afford it. So, the, you know, there were huge hardships Americans endured to survive the war. At the same time, you know, the, my father was there fighting a war, and even there, um, he was giving, what, something like $7 a month to war bonds as he's fighting the war. He's asking my mother if she could send socks or woolen underwear because they don't have enough equipment because of the difficulty of supplying the, uh, the troops. And, and then you know, the, the experiences of seeing your friends and comrades killed. Um, the human cost of the war was so great, was one of the, the aspects of the book and seeing it in first person that was really striking. So what would you like people to remember about your father? Um, you remember a few years back, Tom Brokaw had this book, The Greatest Generation. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we learned, my sister and I, was about the values my father and my mother had of responsibility, patriotism, uh, duty, that guided their actions, and they felt very strongly about it. You know, my father wrote at the end of the war how he looks back and thinks, um, could he have stayed working at Lockheed and not volunteered to fight in the war? And says, even with all the risks, I knew I couldn't do it. It's kind of hard now when you see people struggle with the current crisis to realize how much they gave up back then. 
And so I think I, my sister and I have um, a much greater respect for my father than we had as teenagers growing up. And, and if there's a regret, it's that we only found out my parents' story like this, you know, after they had both passed, mm. so that we couldn't thank him for his service in person. So what feeling or insight would you like people to take away from, uh, from the book after reading it? Um, hmm. uh, I think one part of it is probably the cost of the war that I just described, how much people really gave back then that this wasn't um, like our modern experiences of war, that life continues on at normal at home. Uh, and it was also very different for the Germans who suffered through this. At the same time, one of the lessons I guess I learned from this was, even in this horrendous circumstance of World War II, there's still humanity among uh, the opposing sides. You know, my father at one point wrote about during the early period about how Germany was a beautiful country as they went through the countryside. But then he said, the only problem is there's too many Germans. And, and you can see that as a soldier fighting on the front and earning his infantry combat badge, where he would feel that. But you know, these kind of intimate parts that are interpersonal that I mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, that runs through his experiences when he's there working in Germany. And one of the most striking was on Easter, or Easter, uh, New Year's of mm -hmm. 1945, 1946. Mm -hmm. One of the people working at uh, his office invited him home. Mm. And he was a little apprehensive and decided that um, they wanted to invite him, and so he went. And uh, he got there, and he realized that they had saved up their ration cards in order to have a, a new, new Year's meal with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, even found a bottle of champagne somewhere, and they had a big dinner that he was amazed that they could get all of this food. Mm -hmm. uh, then after dinner, they sat down and they explained that they had lost their son in the war. Mm. He had fought on the Russian front, and they brought out pictures of him in his Wehrmacht uniforms. So a few months earlier, they were on one side with their son, and my father was on the other side trying to kill each other. And here, 12 o'clock comes, and they all stand up and toast to a new year and a better life for us both. It's a kind of a, a humanity that runs through other examples of the book that, that is just surprising when you think of what they went through in World War II. So do you think that your father's war experiences um, influenced the way you taught political science at UCI? I don't think it taught influenced how I taught because we did the book after I became an emeritus professor. Mm. But I think it would change how I taught if I taught my German politics class again. You know, I had them read history books about the war. 
And uh, we did a lot of the first third of the class was revolving around the Third Reich. I think now I'm in a much better position to understand uh, Americans and Germans in the experience of World War II, and especially the post-war economic miracle of how Germans struggled to, to survive, uh, rebuild the economy and become democratic, this post-war democratic transition that the Americans um, helped shape. The other thing I think I would tell my students is, you know, look at the challenges that they faced back then. And like the story, I, the comments I just told you about, mm -hmm. how much people sacrificed, mm -hmm. uh, giving up food, give, having gas limits, not having enough money, uh, to fight a war halfway around the world, the country came together in a, in a very unified way. Why is it our country now struggles to deal with other kind of challenges like climate change or social equity or other problems that we face where we can't agree on whether to wear masks, whether to stay home or go out to a bar, and we fight with each other when other people's health is at risk. We changed as a country, and is there something we can do as a country to get back and think about our fellow human being more rather than our own self-interest? And I think that's a lesson I never would have seen without doing this book. All right. Well, thank you very much, Russ. We appreciate your time. And thank you for listening to the UCI podcast, which is a production of UCI Strategic Communications and Public Affairs.